0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: GLAM MORE FEAR LESS DIABETES LATE NIGHT for listening to our Wellness with a Wow podcast. Tonight, we're celebrating Luther Vandross and his musical legacy, as well as raising awareness for diabetes wellness on our annual Luther Vandross tribute podcast. Through his songs, Luther became a staple in the most joyous moments of people's lives. His voice, distinctive singing style, and unique ability to write, produce, and interpret songs about all the aspects of love led to monumental success. On this Luther Vandross Tribute Podcast, we will be featuring songs from Luther's third studio album entitled Busybody, courtesy of Sony Music. This year marks the 35th anniversary of that album's release. My guests tonight include Dr. Michelle May, Patricia Addie gentle r R&B and jazz singer Allison Williams, here and now songwriter and entertainer Terry Steele, Savita Williams, Luther Vandross historian Leon Petrosen, and our superfan all the way from Pittsburgh, PA, John Price. Now, you could also be a guest and call in or make a comment or share your story, maybe your favorite Luther memory, on our studio line at 347-215-8551. Now take a minute and donate to divabetic at divabetic.org. Remember, your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Just like Luther's music, by the the mid-1980s, Luther Vandross had become a model of consistency by producing high-quality, timeless, quiet storm recordings and establishing himself as the premier male vocalist of our time. Here's a snippet of one of my songs off of the Busybody album entitled Make Me a Believer, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen.
2: Always work out fine. It's all in the
1: mind. Welcome back to Divey's Late Night and Diva Bedick's annual tribute to Luther Vandross. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. This year, I'm proud to say I'm partnering with the Vandross Family Estate to present Fandross, a four-day celebration of all things Luther in New York City coming in May. And here to tell us more about the exciting lineup of events is Luther's niece, Savita Williams. Hi, Savita.
3: Hi, Max. Hi, everybody. Thank you.
1: Thank you. You You got a standing ovation.
3: I know. You know I was over here curtsying, right? So... Max, this is so exciting this year. Let's just discuss the name for a second. I think that the fans of Luther Vandross being called Fandross (laughs) and having a Fandross festival is just the cutest thing ever.
1: No, I absolutely agree. (laughs) Want to do something for the fans and and let them know how important they are. So I I totally agree. I love that name, Fandross.
0: (laughs) I think
3: everybody is getting a kick out of it. So it's here to stay. I love it. And I'm loving that, you know, we have four days of events. And and this is our first time doing this. So, you know, I still feel very secure and happy that everything is going to go off wonderfully and be successful. And it starts on um, – our kickoff is on Thursday, May 10th, at uh, Ashford and Simpson Sugar Bar. And,
1: and what's going to happen a, there?
3: Well, first of all, let me just tell you that we chose that spot, too, because m- – my uncle had a real friendship and relationship with the both of them. So, And he used to go over there all the time. And so there's a history with Ashford and Simpson and my uncle. So it just seems like the appropriate venue to invite the fans into so that they can um, come in and enjoy, you know, this musical tribute. And the musical tribute is going to come from, his his singers from the past, his band members, some fans. I mean, Alpha Anderson is hosting it, and we all know that that Matt Adderley Jr. is something else on the keyboards, and he'll be there musical directing. And the singer Allison
1: Williams. You know who Allison Williams is, right? She's going to be on the show a little bit later. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah. And that voice. That voice is contributing to a Luther tribute. So, I mean, and then we have like, I mean, like I said, there's Alpha. Pat Lacey is gonna be on there. And Pat used to be a part of Sounds of Blackness, and we remember how wonderful their music is. So, I think that just from a musical perspective, it is going to be off the hook. And from a crowd perspective, um, Sugar Bar is very warm and intimate, so the setting is just dynamic for what we're looking for. So everybody is, you know, going to grab a Lutini, I don't know, we'll have a, a cocktail special or something for them, and just rub elbows with other people who love Luther. I mean, because since he has not been around to do concerts, you know, at a concert, you Everybody there was to to love him and dance to him, sing to him, cry to him. But we have not had that in a while. So this intimate setting is going to have everybody close together and swaying. And I'm super excited about it. And the other, you know, Luther, always remember that for me, I also am about the business of Luther, which is wonderful. But the side note to it is that that this evening is gonna benefit Diabetic, which you know, Diabetic is very, very close to my heart and it was inspired by him. So I am just honored to be partnered up with you in doing something for him and benefiting Diabetic because getting out the information about diabetes is just paramount because we have to change people's attitudes about the situation and help them learn to live with it. But you know, this event is not a diabetes event, but it would. But still, there'll be plenty diabetic I'm sure in the house.
2: But that's no, absolutely.
1: That can- and so then on Friday the 11th, we're going to bring everybody to see Lisa Fisher and Grand yeah. at the Blue Note in Greenwich Village. Now, a lot of fans, including Leon Petrosin, who's a historian, knows that Lisa Fisher sang backgrounds for your uncle for years and is actually Here. featured in several videos. So it's kind of fun. It's going to be fun to see what she does. She's been so successful ever since the release of 20 Feet from Stardom that this is really a chance to get up close and, and personal with her in a very – a uh, well-respected venue, probably legendary jazz club, the Blue Note in the in the West Village. And now tell us about Saturday, May 12th, cuz this is a big deal and um this is this is the event that probably has me the most excited.
3: I agree, Max. I love this event because it's being held in SVA Movie Theater in Chelsea. And before you even get into the movie theater, what I'm loving is a little surprise there's gonna be a little bit of new music. Not from him, but there's some wonderful producers who have some music that they want to see if Luther fans would love. So there's going to be a Luther New Music listening lounge off to the side, so people will get a chance to go in there and give their opinion. They listen, and they give immediate feedback, so we know how to proceed forward with um, everything Luther. And then on the way into the theater, there's going to be just such a wonderful colorful display of his memorabilia um and awards and his costumes and just everything that you remember about him that you love and there'll be some also some other little surprises but then when you get into the theater it's going to just be I never like to call it a movie because I don't know what people think it's supposed to be when you call it a movie, but it's not a documentary. It's not the final story, but it's like a collection of his iconic performances. Um, And also some things that people may not have known. He was involved in commercials. He had a cartoon. I'm not sure people knew that, but that's up there. And he also... Fancied himself to be a little bit of an actor, and that'll be in there, too. So just to see him on the big screen that big again, I mean, I feel like it'll be breathtaking. So I hope everybody feels the same way that I feel about it after they view it. So I hope everybody listening has gone on to the event right, punched in fan draws, and and get some tickets to everything that we're doing. But definitely, if you can't make everything, certainly try to make it on Saturday. To well, because free- part of that
1: day also includes a panel discussion with a lot of the people who made the music with your uncle. So we've got Nat Adderley Jr. on the panel. We've got Robin Clark, uh, Collis Alomar, Fonzie Thornton, Tawatha Adji, Cindy Mizell, Patricia uh, Pat Lacey, and Alpha Anderson, again, as well as some other people in the audience who will be um, sharing their stories. And uh, to me, uh, what's exciting is that fans really get to interact with the people who are making the music, get to ask them the actual questions. I always see people on the Facebook page wanting to know know details about how this was recorded, including probably this album, Busybody, and where the inspiration came from meddling um, until you come back to me with Superstar. And they'll be able to ask uh, Nat Adderley Jr. that question that day. So this is like a first time we're connecting really with the fans, with the family, with the former ba- uh, band members, uh, vocalists, and uh, musical this, peers. And because I everybody that's
2: great. always
3: to know what it was like to work with and for him. You know, so now they have the actual people. And, you know, I've always people always ask me when they saw him, do his performances and those girls in those dresses, hey, the ladies will be right there to tell you how heavy they were and what kind of rehearsing it took to look as dynamic as they did and be as graceful and never have a slip. (laughs) Or have they had slips? We'll be able to find out. So it'll be super fun. I
1: agree. And then Sunday we wrap up the whole Fan Festival weekend with uh, fandross Brunch. Now we're spotlighting the '80s fashion. Some of our favorite Dynasty, Golden Girls, uh, Dallas, Falcon crew, uh, Crest fashions with our very own diabetic image and style advisor, Catherine Schuler. And I'll be having a one-on-one discussion with uh, Dr. Beverly Adler. She's a certified diabetes educator has her PhD, Uh, she's a clinical psychologist, and she's also living with type one diabetes. We'll be talking a little bit about how diabetes care and technology has changed from the 80s to now, and we'll be specifically talking about um, Steel Magnolias and that scene that happened in that movie because it was uh, depicted in the late 80s. That's kind of the most uh, popular or famous diabetes moment in movie history, and we'll be talking a little bit about Uh, how they treated Shelby, why they were saying drink your juice, Shelby, and um, talking all about that as well as relating some of the real life story behind that movie uh, to people. So I think that's going to be a really exciting day. Plus we're going to have a a dress auction, raffle prizes, and and entertainers.
3: Excellent. Now tell me that's not a fantastic weekend. There's something for everyone and always I, I just i think it's going to be fun i'm super excited i have to tell you i am very excited about every activity i will be at all four events so i hope everybody can make four but if you can't whatever you can please stop over and say hi to me i i want to meet you too <laughs> i don't know everybody so you know introduce yourself to me i'm Savita i don't know what i'll be that. wearing I'll be looking fabulous, so look for that.
1: <laughs> they better. So they could get, you can find out more information on, about all those events on divabeg.org, on Luther Vandross' official website, as well as our Facebook pages, and Eventbrite, as Savita said. Thank you so much for joining us, Savita, and I'm so looking forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. This will be great.
4: Thanks, Max. Bye, everybody.
1: All right, now, Luther had a very public battle with his weight throughout his lifetime. Coming up, I'll be talking to the author of Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat with Diabetes, a mindful eating program for thriving with prediabetes and diabetes. But first, it's time for more music. This song we're going to play was first recorded by Stevie Wonder and then by Aretha Franklin before Luther decided to create a medley combining it with this song, Superstar. Here's a snippet of Until You Come Back to Me, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's
2: listen. I want to tell you, baby, the change I've been going through, missing you, missing you, oh, till you come back, I don't know why going
1: am have na no, 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 no. That's rough to end that song right there, but guess what? We're going to be playing the whole song at the end of the podcast. Welcome back to the Diva Betic's annual Luther Vandross Tribute Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Betic, and my next guest is a doctor, mindful eating expert, an author who writes, speaks, and teaches about ending yo-yo dieting and resolving mindless and emotional eating. Please welcome the author of Eat What You Love, Let What You Eat with Diabetes, a mindful eating program for Thriving with Prediabetes and Diabetes, Dr. Michelle May. Hello, Dr. May.
5: Hi, Max. Thanks for having me.
1: I've been hosting a podcast now, annual podcast for Luther, for several years, and I've been wanting to cover this subject, and I've been looking for the right expert, and I know I found that expert in you because uh, I, I was doing a lot of research uh, about you, and I know uh, this topic, uh, mindful eating, emotional eating, is personal for you because I was watching your amazing TED talk. So I, I wanted to start first by getting a little, by having you share a little bit of your experience with our listeners.
5: Yeah, you know, I think I'm like many people in the United States and now around the world who have struggled with yo-yo dieting and challenges with body image and. You know, for me, it started way back in, well, childhood, really. By the, time I, by the time I was in high school, I'd already started dieting, and I continued that all the way through college and medical school and even into my practice. And I don't think it was really until I realized that many of my patients were doing the same thing that I began to think, you know what? If I can't do it and they can't do it, then maybe, maybe diets really aren't the answer,
1: and so you got out of your practice, and you really focused on this and creating a program around the idea of mind, being mindful. But, I, you know, it's, it's gone so far in your career. You're now writing books. You have a blog. You do seminars. But the title specifically, like, Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat With Diabetes, I think for a lot of my listeners they would say that's a contradiction. No one has ever told them when they're first diagnosed specifically with type 2 diabetes that they could eat with their, what they love. Usually – in my opinion, from what I've, the, the people I've talked to, family members, coworkers, doctors are telling them what not to eat and being, mm-hmm. uh, being the food police. So tell us a little bit about the, the this book and, and the title and, and what you're really trying, uh, what the message really is here for people with diabetes who are struggling with these issues.
5: Yeah, I think it, I think it's really an important concept and you're right. It's, totally contradictory to everything that we're hearing these days but my personal experience and what I've seen with so many of my patients and the people I've worked with and and the people who who are interested in this approach you know it we know how to diet we know the lists of foods in fact I think most people know more about nutrition than their doctors do because if you've struggled with these issues at all you've you've learned as much as you possibly can. So it's not a matter of willpower. It's usually not a matter of knowledge. What it's a matter of is figuring out a sustainable way to eat and live your life and manage your life that doesn't require restriction and deprivation and obsession and, and really making your life so small that, you know, what's the point, right? Right. So the idea here is that when we learn how to tune into our body's wisdom about when we're hungry and when we're full, and when we also notice the times that we feel like eating when maybe we're not hungry, but we're eating for other reasons, and start to address the, the roots of the issues that we're struggling with, then we can get back to a place where food doesn't have to be an enemy to us anymore so it's really about learning how to to heal that love hate relationship with food
1: and this is kind of like is this go along the idea of the break the eat repent repeat cycle is that what you're talking about
5: yeah exactly so you know so a lot of us have struggled with this problem of yo-yo dieting and so think about a yo-yo and why that that term is so relevant so a yo-yo, you're you're wound up tight, you're following all the rules, you're being good, you're obsessing about everything you should and shouldn't eat, and and you can only do that. Most of us can only hold that level of obsession and compulsion for so long, and then pretty soon we sort of let that yo-yo go and it unravels back down toward the bottom and we're not we're not paying any attention, and we're overeating, and we're eating things that don't even leave us feeling good. And certainly if you have diabetes, your, your blood sugar may spike. And so then after a bit, you start thinking, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. This is bad. And then we wind the yo-yo back up. Well, here's the thing. A yo-yo doesn't stop in the middle. There's, you know, you're, you're either either holding on tight or not paying any attention at all. And so that's what I call the eat, repent, repeat cycle. What I like to help people realize is that there's a whole different way of thinking about this. So think of a pendulum instead. So let the yo-yo roll all the way out to the bottom and watch it swing from side to side. So now you may sometimes be really careful about what you eat, and you may sometimes eat a little more than your body needs or is good for you, let's say, but with a pendulum you can find a smaller arc in the middle right there's a there's a smaller range in the middle and so what eat what you love love what you eat with diabetes is all about is helping people find that smaller arc where you truly can eat what you love and you and you love what you eat that doesn't mean oh eat whatever you want just binge have everything it means When you're hungry, choose food that you enjoy, eat it in an enjoyable way, notice how you feel if you have diabetes, notice how it affects your blood sugar, and then learn from that and then make the next decision the next time you get hungry. It's about allowing your eating and your life to unfold moment by moment rather than obsessing and planning and feeling shame and guilt and deprivation.
1: I I I mean I I'm enjoying this a lot but I have to say uh you know a lot of people again with type 2 diabetes and and many with type 1 are are being told by healthcare providers that they have to focus on everything and they begin to be very obsessive about looking at everything they're eating because you know uh, a lot of people with type 2 diabetes are are diagnosed right after a major health crisis and so they go into panic mode and they just feel like they, are, they don't want to obsess. You know, they're, they're being forced mm-hmm. to obsess about something they never obsessed about, and they don't want to obsess. So how, I, I mean, it's just kind of, again, with this pendulum, how do they find some mm-hmm. kind of comfort in being mindful of their portions and the things they're eating and how, they, how it affects their body, as well as, like you're saying, being more, mind, you know, listening to their body as well? You know, because there's so many sides to this, I feel.
5: Right, oh, definitely. Without a doubt, there's a lot of sides to it that's why that's why my book is a not a pamphlet right? I mean, there's a lot to learn and a lot to understand. but my co-author on that book is a is a certified diabetes educator, and when I first met her and she heard what I was teaching people about in terms of mindful eating and and eating what they love and loving what they eat, she said, "You know, Michelle, my patients with diabetes were yo-yo dieters all grown up. In other words, many of them had spent their entire adult lives on one diet after the next, and then going off, and then weight cycling, and then struggling. And so if they had a genetic tendency toward diabetes, it might manifest itself in diabetes. Well, why would we think that after decades of yo-yo dieting, suddenly you're diagnosed with diabetes and now you're going to be able to follow a restrictive diet for the rest of your life. Most people only do it during that first phase when they're, as you said, you know, they're scared, they, they're, they're worried, they're scared. And so if they don't find a more sustainable way of making decisions about food, then they will continue to yo-yo diet just like they did before the diagnosis of diabetes, except now it has even worse consequences. Now the blood sugar is going up, so the doctor increases the meds, and then you have hypoglycemia because your blood sugar falls too low because you're now following the diet, and then you, you know, you you, you end up with all these other issues. And so I think ultimately, it we can focus on what we should be doing, or we can choose to focus on what we will, and can do. And that's really, that's really what this is all about, is learning that every single one of us was born with the instinctive ability to manage our eating without obsessing and, and writing everything down. And so maybe we need a little a uh, little bit of knowledge here. Maybe we need to learn more about carbohydrates and how our body responds. And we also need to pay more attention to how our body responds, how we feel and what's happening. And and all of these things are learnable and we know they are because we've been doing it for 19 years teaching people how to move away from these restrictive diets that they hate and can't do long term anyway.
1: Well, and I I was attracted to your program because you said it's a weight neutral program. You prefer to focus on current behaviors rather than uh, you know, get involved in just focusing on the weight i I think that is uh huge, and you know at diva better it 's love yourself and then love your health so starting from a point of love versus hate, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because i I think that 's such a pivotal thing in what you 're talking about right now is this idea of weight neutral and and finding comfort i would i think what you 're saying is finding comfort in where you are right now and and, and trying to achieve a healthy, healthy life and lifestyle.
5: That's right. I think, you know, we, we tend to think that weight determines health, and, and you might hear a physician say, well, yeah, if you lose weight, your diabetes will be better. Well, when you lose weight, what oftentimes what you're doing is making different eating choices and moving your body differently. Those are the things that make your diabetes better, it's It may or may not have anything to do with weight loss. Well, I, we already know that when a person loses weight, their body will go into protection mechanism. it You know there's this whole series of of biochemical things that happen that cause us to feel more sensitized to food. we We notice food, we think about food more. Our body will feel hungrier more often when we're overly restricting our diet. We will, we will uh, become more efficient and gain weight more easily. And, I, and and anybody who's listening who's ever lost weight and regained that weight already knows this. We've experienced this for ourselves. And so instead of restricting to the point where your body goes into protective, mechan, uh, protective mode, why don't we make sustainable changes that will bring our blood sugar down and manage our moods and and the way that we're feeling and our health and other issues. It may not be diabetes for everybody, but manage our eating in a way that we can do every day for the rest of our lives, because that's what matters. It doesn't, it's not helpful to do something strict and hard for a week or a month or even a year. Diabetes is a long-term issue and and so is so is our health in general as you said. So we got to start as you beautifully said, we have to start from a place of acceptance and care. You know, you 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 don't you, you care for things that you care about. And so we have to, you know, you, you can't hate yourself healthy. You have to really focus on accepting the body that you're in and then feeding and moving that body in a loving way, regardless of whether your weight changes or not.
1: I love it. All right. One last question. Um, because I'm going to be talking about this on Sunday brunch for uh, a on, um, Sandros on uh, may 13th how has the conversation changed around this from the 80s till now because you know my boss did have a very public battle with his weight as i said earlier and i don't remember anyone in that time when i was working for him really uh being respectful of the idea of mindfulness and emotional eating and i'm just curious because you did make this huge switch in your own career over how have you seen Mm -hmm. this dialogue change and where do you think it's going
5: well, I, I think you're absolutely right, because I was struggling with yo-yo dieting in the 80s as well, and and honestly, it hasn't changed everywhere. I mean, you only have to go on the internet to see all the m- millions of diets and, and restrictive plans that are being promoted. But I think more and more, if you Google the phrase mindful eating, what you're going to find is that there are a lot of experts, dietitians, and physicians and, and psychologists and coaches who are really saying look we've been dieting for decades now literally decades and look where it's gotten us nowhere it's not helping and so what we need to do is rethink the way that we approach food and eating and weight and start to really look at moment to moment decisions because that's really what mindfulness is all about it's it's eating with intention and attention. In other words, having an intention to feel better when I'm done than I did when I started and eating with enough attention so that I notice the wonderful experience of the food and I also notice how my body responds. And with that kind of information, I can make decisions that don't require me to log every step and every calorie that I eat. I can, I can move towards managing my diabetes if I have it or managing my life if I don't and not, not make it be about whether I'm being good or being bad on the rules.
1: Great way to end. I love that final comment. And I could find out more about you. Uh, Dr. Michelle May will be posting all your links on our website later tonight. Thanks for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it.
5: Thanks for what you do, Max. It's really important.
1: Coming up, we're going to have another fabulous diva joining us. She's the talented Allison Williams, who will be performing at the Fandross Kickoff Party at the Sugar Bar on Thursday, May 10th. But before we get to Allison, I can't wait to talk to her. We're going to hear some more music. On this next song, Luther performed a duet with his childhood idol, Dionne Warwick. The song cracked the top 30 of Billboard's Hot 100 as a single back in the 80s. Here's How Many Times Can We Say Goodbye, courtesy of Sony Music.
2: So close to the end now Still holding on We try and pretend now to love We both know we dying to die We've tried and tried To find us a way But darling our dreams Now have been played out Still we go on Hopelessly trying But how many times Can we say goodbye And how many times Can we feel like a And how many times Can we give it One more try Before we realize
1: Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night and our annual Luther Vandross Tribute Podcast. I've worked for Luther Vandross for 13 years, and Luther loved to put on a show. And I have so much respect for the hard work that goes on when you're trying to put on a show. And my next guest really puts on a fantastic show. I got to see her live at the Sugar Bar on Valentine's Day. She's the first lady of Deaf Jam, been. an acclaimed vocalist who's, perform- who's gonna be performing with us at Sugar Bar. Please welcome Allison Williams. Hi, Allison.
0: Hi, Mitch. how are you?
1: I have chills because I, I have to say, <laughs> your performance with Nat Adderley Jr. at the Sugar Bar was just one of my fa- all-time favorites. You were in such oh, my command goodness. of the stage. And you know you have such an incredible musical pedigree. I want everyone to hear a little bit about your story because your father uh was also a musician
0: absolutely I think that's where the inspiration actually both parents um my mother had been a singer and actress and dancer early on in her in her uh, in her life and decided to you know raise two daughters, which made her go back to school and she became an r n and um kind of um I think what really um I, it was a plus for me because her parents came from a different era, obviously, and did not nurture her in that. Uh, they came from Virginia, and their, their their take on show show business was, well, you know, show people. You know, there was something that was not uh, savory about being in show business or something that was a little to the left, apparently. So she always had a hard time um I guess, you know, following her dream and having them be behind her. But when I came along, my they, my parents, both my father being a musician and my mother, were like, well, we've given you everything that we believe we can give you in terms of trying to hone this gift that you've been given, but we've also given you what we know when when you leave the house, when you close the door, you're coming back, and you're not going to go out there and do anything that's going to uh Harm yourself, or or bring shame, or you know, just those things you worry about your kids. But um, as they say, you train a a child up in the way, and they'll they'll follow that way. And um, it was it was it was a great a great uh, a great. uh, plus for me, like I said, because I didn't get held back. It wasn't like, no, you can't go. No, you can't hear that. And it's so funny. You just played Dionne Warwick with Luther. I went to see Dion by myself because I had to go see her, and my mother had to work. And um, I was a teenager at the time, but old enough to get on the Greyhound bus and go to Atlantic City and to find my way to the showroom. And she was like, here's a lot of coins. You're going to call me when you get there. You're going to call me da-da-da-da-da-da. And I did it, you know, and, and she allowed me to do that because she knew I needed to experience things. And, um,
1: I love uh, it. I mean, both, the interesting yeah. thing about Dionne Warwick to me is she doesn't really get the respect because people think of her as psychic network, and then, of course, that hideous turn she had on Celebrity Apprentice where she just came off as like the nastiest person in the room. If she's listening, I apologize, but it's true. So, I mean, like a lot of people I think just don't today don't have don't see her for all everything she accomplished. I mean, she's such an well, amazing let me, vocalist. Well, let me
0: also say this. let me also say this, if she is listening or anyone who knows her is listening, she may have come off that way, but that is not her spirit at all from what I've experienced. She's always been kind and loving and just really, you know, like she's the first person to see a young singer coming up and want to give them, you know, a boost and, 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 and sit and have a conversation. That's how I've always seen her.
1: No, so, I agree. Well, I've her backstage. So, she wasn't mm, she she came mm. off very different on that show. Well I wanna tell you I wanna I wanna first of all I wanna thank you for keeping the music alive. One of the reasons I wanted to do fandross is because so many of my musical heroes have passed away, including Vesta Williams, Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, David Peaston, Gerald LeVert, Phyllis She's Hyman, Tina Marie and several of the Pointer yeah. Sisters and then you know, Tina Turner retired. Anita Baker is retiring. Tony Braxton, I think, is retiring, and I, even half of the members of En Vogue are retiring. So that whole golden era of music is, you know, is disappearing, and and it's because of people like you that we're keeping it alive. And I just appreciate what you're doing. It had to be in a phenomenal time to work in music. How do how do you how would you explain? Uh, your career in the '80s when you were releasing albums with Def Jam.
0: Well, you know, it really started prior to that. Um, just uh, Def Jam came around in like '86, and my my first album came out. Uh, the singles were like '88, '89, actually. So um, prior to that, when Def Jam was being formulated, I was on the Capitol label. And what was exciting is that. That's when Chic was really happening. This was 1982, 84, anywhere in there. And I became a part of a stable uh, of a producer named Fred Petrus. Fred Petrus had a group called the BB&Q Band, uh, which was the Bronx Brooklyn Queens Band, making really great R&B pop hits. He had a group called High Fashion, which was myself, Melissa Morgan, and a young man named Eric McClintock out of uh, Detroit, who was managed by David Coffey at the time. And then he had a group called Change, and the lead vocalist for that group was Luther Vandross. So I imagine how excited I was to be a part of that circle. We had nightclubs in New York. We had uh, uptown clubs. We had the midtown clubs. We had downtown clubs where you could actually go and see live music, and, and people would be there uh, two, three weeks in a row, or you know, or every Friday, Saturday, and so- Sunday would be the Kinky, their Kinky Fox with uh, Donnie Kepp up front, or it would be uh, uh, Jamil featuring Keith Sweat, or it would be Allison Williams with her group or whatever. It was always – something to do and a place to go, um, jazz clubs like McKell's, where you could go see a Phyllis Hyman. And, and you, you know, it was just, it was just a, a golden time, um, and people were getting a chance to put their foot in the door um, and to really have an opportunity to, to, to make something. Uh, high Fashion existed for about two years, maybe a year and a half, but it was wonderful because, once again, we had clubs. We could, do five different, we could do four or five track dates in a night. And the limo would just pick us up and take us everywhere. We had Bonds. We had Bonds International. We had the Fun House. We had the Garage. We had the Loft. We had Better Days. We had, it, was, it just goes on and on. And then we went to Jersey. We, it was incredible. And Brooklyn had coin. Every place had a club. So you could really, really hone your craft. And after I got finished with High Fashion, that, by that time, Def Jam was just about ready. Um, I was on Profile Records for a quick second, which is where Run DMC was. So Russell found a place to tuck me over there. We did a 12-inch a, a single uh, cover of Yes, We Can Can, which was a, kind of like almost like a go-go meets dance version, and then finally Def Jam. What was great about Def Jam is I was the only female there, um, certainly the only R&B vocalist for a minute, um, along with a young rapper named Nikki D, a female rapper, and then my other R&B uh, cohorts, which were Orange Juice Jones, who famous for the right. rain, uh, Tayshaun, and uh, um, Chuck Stanley, uh, who had a, a hit single with Day by Day. So it was a great time to be in the mix of something that was so new and cutting edge, and everybody thought it was just going to be a passing fancy, and it stuck to the point where yeah. Russell had yep. to step away from the uh, the label, you know, just to kind of learn what he needed to learn to become the mogul he became because the rap stuck. And when he got ready to do R&B, they looked again and said, oh, please. Okay. You did the rap and we will give you that, but you're going to fall on your face with the R&B. And he didn't. We had charted music. My album stayed on the charts for 67 weeks. The only other album on the charts for 67 weeks at Billboard that year was Madonna.
1: I so that. It, well, it was one a thing wonderful time. Was, was your song "Just Call My Name"? How did you get your yes, hands indeed. on that song? I want to know because you you had such a lovely way of talking about it on stage at the Sugar Bar, and and just the success you've had with it, and how fans have continued to listen to it. Uh, tell us a little bit about the recording of that song and how you you got that song um, when you were at Def Jam.
0: Um. Well, being at Deaf Jam had its challenges, and, and some of the challenges were they were um, a little more well um, – how can I put it? They had a little bit more experience, I guess, at that time finding the music for the rappers. Most of the rappers are writing their own things, so they were looking for music for me, but they didn't really know how to find what I did. They knew I was a jazz singer by trade. They had come to see me at Sweetwater do a cabaret show. They knew I sang R&B, but where to find it? And Russell also loved to employ young people because he knew that young people had their ear to the ground and their finger on the pulse. But maybe in that hip-hop world, we didn't even have hip-hop at that time, it might not have been... The, the the best match. So I knew that it was going to be on me to keep my eyes and my ears open, too, as well as write. Um, the sad thing about my writing was when I would take my songs in, they would always say, oh, Alison, don't worry, we're going to find material for you. And instead of saying, "Alison, it's not that your music isn't good, it just doesn't fit what we see or what the image is. Because I grew up listening to jazz and pop artists like Dionne Warwick and Barbara Streisand, Broadway, Beavers uh, and what have you. So my writing wasn't where they needed it to be for what Def Jam was doing. Uh, with an R&B artist, so I stopped writing because I felt I wasn't good enough, uh, but I put that energy into becoming the best stage performer that I could be, and eventually I started writing again. But long story short, a friend of mine said, listen, I'm going to California. You want to come? So we jumped in the Volkswagen, and we went, and we drove across country, and I ran into um, a friend of mine who was then producing, oh, my, my God, all he was he was the golden child, Denzel Miller. He had left Broadway and New York session world and was now hitting it with Quincy Jones, and they were all rubbing on him and everything. And he and I, we said we were going to get together. We were from New York. We were going to hang out. But he was so busy in the studio with so much of a demand, he said, Allison, I want you to come by the studio and just hang out with me for a day. And they were working on a demo for – several labels and several artists and several songs that were going to be placed on this demo. And this just called my name was one of them. And I knew from the moment that I heard him playing it. And uh, the singer, uh, Philip, um, Philip Ingram's brother, James Ingram's brother, Philip Ingram is a very well-known uh, session singer up in LA. He was doing the lead in the background and they were putting the song together. And I knew it was mine. I knew it was mine. We must've been in the studio for eight hours all day long. I knew it. And at the end of the day, When he got ready to finish up and wrap up, he said, Allison, come here, come here, come here, I want you to come here. Put a female lead on here. Just sing the song. I know you've been sitting here. You know how I go. Put a female lead on it. And that's how the song became mine. Because when they heard me sing it, they knew it was mine, too. So we
1: called and made the calls and... I've been listening to it every day day since I saw you on Valentine's Day. I won't do my (laughs) rendition right now, but I could do it for you another time. (laughs) Uh, So much has changed, though, because you've continued to grow and go on with your career, but you've also dealt with some health issues, and I know you're living with diabetes, so I want to talk a little bit about your experience living with diabetes. While you're performing, Allison, how has that affected your career?
0: Well, um, obviously, when you find that you've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, there are certain changes that need to be made. What I have found, or at least what I feel, uh, based on the research that I've done and, I, and living with it, is that diabetes has been told to me it's manageable. And in my mind, when you say it's manageable, then it is also something that can be eradicated. You don't have to have it. But it takes a lot to do it, and everyone can't make uh, as drastic a change. And then it's different with every person, every person's body and physical makeup. But um, you can drive the numbers down, and you can drive it out. And And I believe it to be true, and I know that there are people who have told me they've done it. I am still working on it. But when I first got diagnosed, I just knew I was tired. Um, I was thirsty all the time. I was, you know, just things were off. And I one day just got tired of being off. And after one of my gigs at 2 or 3 in the morning, I got off, and I went to the emergency room instead of going home. And they said, we might need to keep you, Ms. Williams, because you have some very high numbers, 16-point something. They said, we don't, the only reason you're probably not on a stretcher coming in is because otherwise you're a healthy person. So they kept me over the weekend, and they got me you know, all set up and figured out what the situation was and, and and decided, you know, what the form of treatment would be for me. And immediately um, after that first A1C um, appointment that I had to go back in three months, I drove my numbers down immediately to the point where the uh, endocrinologist said to me, Ms. Williams, I don't know what you did or what you're doing, but apparently you're doing something right because there's a drastic change in, in what it is. And if you keep on this path, you could be one of the few that sees your way out of it. But if you don't, as long as you can manage it and get it a little and get it further down, you should be okay because, you know, and then he gave me all the reasons why I should be okay. But um, okay it's not good enough for me, but I am it's a struggle. And um, I will even share this even further with the audience. I have not been in um, because of travel and what have you, you know, get to, Still try to be proactive with your health, even when you're running around. So I hadn't been to my doctor, um, and I missed my last uh, A1C testing. So now this time when I got to see her at the top of the year, top of the year, I should have seen him. I just saw her recently. She called me the next day and said she wasn't very happy with what she saw. My numbers had gone down to the 6 and 7 level, and now they're back up to 10. And it's, it's, it's disturbing to me because I know what has caused it. I know the different issues that have taken me off track, um, not eating correctly, not necessarily not eating the right food, but not eating as often as I need to to be able to fuel my body the right way so that it continues to function correctly and can, and, and eventually will function without the help of, infl- of an insulin medication, but will function on its own. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I share this because I want the listeners to understand it's a battle and it's, and, and it's a thin line and you've got to walk it real straight. But, but it is possible to see positive results. But once again, when you see yourself off track, you got to really make that turnaround because when you have the type two diabetes, there's so many other things that you're at risk, more at risk for. And you don't want stroke and you don't want heart attack and you don't want those things. So, you know, you've you got to figure out what's what's important. i got to eat. I can't, you know, I can't work myself to death. When it's time or, you know, make the extra effort, get up and have a bite to eat. It's not a full breakfast. I'm just not a breakfast person. I'm not hungry for breakfast in the morning. But you've got to have something to give your system a chance to get it jump started, to get it working the way the system needs to work. And so you learn uh, well, those things. Thank you for a-
1: talking about mm-hmm. Thank you for talking about the struggle. I think it's so important to uh, be honest yeah. and open about that, and I appreciate it mm-hmm. because I, the, the, the struggle is real for a lot of people. Living it's with real, I, and I'm and in it. We need, to be there. <laughs> we, we need to be there together. All right, before you go, I, I want, and we're going to have to have you back, but I want to tell everyone you've got some new music coming out. So tell us a little bit about that, Allison, before you go.
0: Okay, really quickly, um, as I had mentioned before, I, I came up in a jazz household. My father was a jazz trumpet player, had a 21-piece swing band. Big band music and jazz is what I knew, just like some kids go to church and they're in church all week long and they know gospel. That was my music. So I, it's been a, a really interesting journey to come from jazz to be signed to a rap label and be given an r&b contract so now i'm finally back to my jazz roots um, i played on it and someone came to me with some music actually that one they wanted to be a part of a musical review uh harlem renaissance meets motown and harlem soul and they said but we need somebody who really legitimately sings jazz and you were recommended so i said okay i'd love to hear the music so I heard the music, and I said, I'll do the project, and I'd even like to be in the show if you that's your, your vision, but I want a chance for this music to have a life as part of a CD project for me, and they agreed, and I thought the music was, um, I thought the music had enough integrity for me to call on some of the people that I consider um, high-level certainly the young lions of what's going on to exi- with what's going on today in jazz. So I called on Christian McBride. I called on Ulysses Owens, Ron Blake, Christian Sands, uh, Solomon Hicks, Ray Chu, Kirk Whalum. I-, I called on these folks, and they said yes. And they said, what do you need me to do? And I said, well, I need this. And these musicians came together. The project is called Summer Nights in Harlem. One of the singles is called Summer Nights in Harlem, and the other one is called um, The Romance of You, written by Maurice. Uh, lynch uh who's a songwriter and producer and um so we've completed it it's about to be mastered we're getting ready to take pictures and put the package together and hopefully we'll have it out as summer nights in harlem would if reflect hopefully in the summer because that's what we're trying for you know so we can do a big you know promotion around that whole thing um in harlem and beyond but um I'm excited about it. It's it's very uh, very much the same type of music you would hear from a Nancy Wilson or a Connor McRae. puts you in that kind of feel, um, and um, I, I'm Absolutely. excited about it. The whole CD will be the whole CD will be won't be all traditional um, uh, straight ahead jazz. There'll be some new offerings. Um, I love that this is original, an opportunity to make a new original standards for the Great American Songbook. It feels that kind of way, and, and I'm excited.
1: Good for you. And and I'm looking forward to seeing you at our kickoff party for Fandross on oh, yes. Thursday at that sugar bars. Thank you so much for being Absolutely. a part of the show tonight, Alice Williams. Amazing. Listen,
0: I'm excited about it. Sandos is going to be wonderful. We want people to come out. We want people to get the music, live it, as well as get the information about uh, Diva and all the, the good things that we're trying to put forward to give people uh, the strength and the encouragement and the, the knowledge that they need to um, to do what they need to do to keep that diabetes thing under control.
1: I agree. Thank you. All right, well, it's time for more music, everybody. Did you know that Busy Body was one of only four? Albums that sold over a million copies by an African American artist in 1983. Prince Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie were the other people who released albums that sold a million copies. Our next song from Busybody was described in Rolling Stone magazine as a silky boss gags song that describes a woman's unfaithfulness. Here's Body, courtesy of Sony Music. Hey,
2: hey. Somebody who
1: Welcome back to Diva Bedick's annual Luther Vandross tribute podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. You know Luther was known as the premier vocalist of his time. So, can you imagine the stress and anxiety you would face if you had to write a song for him? <laughs> well, my next <laughs> guest, two-time Grammy Award-winning nominee, uh, Grammy Awards nominee, and two-time ASCAP Ab- Award-winning songwriter, please welcome to the show, Terry Steele. Hi, Terry. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you for joining the show I mean, I am so excited you're here Because uh, the song you wrote for Luther Vandross Happens to be one of my favorites We're not playing it tonight but um, Because we're we're spotlighting the Busy oh. album But one day we'll play it soon And hopefully you'll come back on the show Let's tell everyone Definitely. a little I don't want to name the song I just want you to describe the experience And we'll see if some of our fans Could tell what it is Before you mention the name of the song so tell us a little
6: bit about
1: how this happened. This is such a magical moment in Luther's career.
6: Oh, wow. Well, you know, my, my brother, great friend and brother, uh, not my blood brother, but we, we go way back, uh, is Dion Warwick's son, David Elliott. And actually, uh, I had written the song and played it for David He was getting ready to record an album, and uh, he heard the song and loved it, so um, he put his voice on it, and we then got together and rearranged it a little bit, Uh, played it for his mom, Dionne Warwick, and she was on her way to a party at Luther's home. I guess it was movie night or something like that, and she called... David and asked him to bring the song over to Luther's house. She wanted Luther to hear it. And <laughs> they, uh, David took it over there and played the song for, uh, Luther. He loved it. Um, I get a call early that morning, like around two or 3 AM and, uh, hearing, uh, Noises in the background and hearing Luther's voice,
2: I love it, I love it.
6: <laughs> I heard David sh- sh- screaming that Luther wanted to record the song, and it went on to win Luther his, I believe it's his first uh, um, Grammy uh, for, uh, uh, is it was it pop? I can't remember, but I know it was his first uh, Grammy Award. And that was um, my first nomination and uh, went on to be the wedding song of, of, um, well, the, a lot of people have gotten married to it. I'll put it that
1: Absolutely. Way. I mean, the song, we should tell everyone, the song is here and now. I So here's your, this wasn't the very first song you ever wrote. This was the first song you really had recorded. But, I mean, let's just go back to the writing because, like, one look in your eyes, and there I see what you mean to me. Did that, did that just fall off the paper? I mean, did, or did you kind of struggle with any of these lines? Because it's so beautifully, the lyrics are so beautiful in the song. I'm just curious how, how it
6: came together. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Uh, you know what? It, it was, I was very young, by the way, when the song was first penned. And I was just out of high school myself and I really didn't know that much about love um uh, I wasn't in any serious relationship but I really patterned the song after my parents uh love that they had and showed us growing up and it was it just did really just happen it's like I believe all all lyrics and melodies are Flying around in in the universe in heaven, and it's when we tap into it we can draw from that that's already existing. I believe music is a wonderful gift from God, and it's just tapping into that. And so I believe those those lyrics were sent um, to us all. I was just happened to be the the channel that God put those lyrics in, but you know it's it's. It's all from him, you
1: know, all right, so I want a diva abetic exclusive. did Luther Lutherize it at all? because I always heard that he had a hand in the writing or the producing of the song. I'm curious, like how that all came together and did did the final yes. vision, or the final version of what you heard did that was that what you initially heard when you wrote it, as far as like was that the mm-hmm. idea you had of hearing, how you heard it being ultimately produced?
6: Well, you know Luther, he he, and uh, was it Matt Adley Jr. Mm-hmm. and did a, an amazing orchestration on it. Uh, the the meat of the song was basically the same as the demo, but you know there's only one Luther Vandross, and yes, he definitely put his magic on the song. And actually, Luther wrote, which is. This is just how generous of a spirit and a human he was. He wrote the bridge and did not take credit for it at all. The uh,
2: starting here, starting
6: now, that's all Luther. He added that to the song. So, yes, he Lutherized it a great deal. And it's no one that can sing it or or even uh, perform it, or or it 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 ended up in the hands that it should have been. I mean, that was Luther's song. That was just his song.
1: And I'm I'm finding out on Google that he did win a Grammy for Here and Now in 1991 for Best Male R&B Performance. It was his first Grammy. I'm sure. Yes. Probably, yeah. So there you go. Well, he you you told me earlier that he was. Uh, not only generous with song lyrics, but also with clothing. So tell everyone um, a little bit about that. So here you go. He recorded your song, and uh, obviously it gets on the greatest hits package. And and like you said earlier, uh, millions of people around the world start using it as their wedding song. Uh, Tell us how he kind of um, thanked you for the success.
6: Well, um, he was nominated for uh, the – Best R&B single, and I was nominated for writing for Writing Here and Now, and Luther called me to congratulate me um, on my first nomination uh, for a Grammy, and we were talking, and you know Luther, he he knows, he knows the, he knew the clothes, and so he called and, and asked what was I going to wear to the Grammys. And I was, you know, brand new to all of this. So I said, oh, you know, I'll probably go rent a tux, (laughs) get a tux or a black suit. And he said, no, 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 no. This is what I'm going to do. I want you to go to my designer. And at the time, it was Mr. Tony Chase was doing all of Luther's um, stage, his concert wardrobe, the girls' gowns and his jackets. And he says, I want you to go to Tony, and I'm going to have him to give you uh, – to um, do a jacket, but I'm going to have him to give you one of my designs for the, for the show. So I went and I met with Tony. He took my measurements, and Luther gave me one of his show jackets, but it was custom – uh fit it for me but that was my gift for writing here and now and and uh for his way of saying thank you for uh, the grammy nomination but truly it was it's all me in the in the thank you spot <laughs> well you and know when i, I saw I your publicity stills when i saw
1: your publicity stills i said to you that looks legitimate and then you told me the story cuz i was like That man, Terry Steele is wearing a jacket that Luther actually would have worn. I love it. And then you said, oh, he gave it to me, Max. And I was like, oh, of course. (laughs) <laughs> That's phenomenal. That that is incredible. And we should tell everyone you've gone on to write songs for other artists too. I mean, it kind of kicked it off, and you've been writing for Whitney Houston and several other major artists after working with Luther. So it's been an incredible uh, journey for you. I, you know, we're we're going to be celebrating Luther this May. I just, I, I what a, How would you how would you describe Luther Vandross to people and? his mark on music and what he offered to people as an entertainer?
6: Oh, wow. You know, that is, that is a a hard question to answer simply because he is such an original. There is, there is, and will never be another Luther Vandross. I've been privileged to um, keep his legacy, so to speak alive with, I do a, a tribute show to him and I tell everyone when I walk trying to be Luther, there's only one Luther, but I'm really doing this out of gratitude for a man that was so generous to a young writer when he did not have to be and recorded my song and invited me to the studio uh, when the orchestra dates were going on and and uh, the background sessions. And, and I learned so much. He just opened up his world to me. I, I have the um original score from Here and Now that Luther signed and all the musicians signed. I did my own We Are the World <laughs> and they all signed it for me and he just gave me so many tips and 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 showed me how to operate in the studio. I that was my first time being um, around such professional art, uh, um, musicians and singers and, and Luther just just opened up and, and, oh, man, he really did change my world as far as recording and, and how to behave in the studio, you know. Back then, there was studio etiquette. You you went in and and you were professional and you got the job done and you had fun, but it was really a serious thing. And and oh man, I will forever be grateful to him. There's only one Luther Vandross. Will only ever be one Luther. And. Forget well, Terrence, about the great
1: life. Great for you for being on our tribute podcast, because uh, I love that memory you just shared and sharing that with the fans so they could hear more about Luther the man. And uh, I just, I appreciate that. He was such a generous, kind spirit. And I, I sometimes think oh, that's yes, more inspired yes. the music. And I, I'm I'm glad you talked about that tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll have you, we have to have you come back when we play here and now on one of our upcoming tribute podcasts. Have a great night
6: wonderful. Thank you, Max. Thank you.
1: Well, we're going to play more music from another co-writer of Luther's. This one's name is Marcus Miller. He was a bassist who worked with Luther Vandross, and they collaborated on For the Sweetness of Your Love from the Busy Body album. We're going to play it right now, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. I to the That's a jam, everybody. Welcome back to Demovedic's annual Luther Vandru's tribute podcast. I was just snapping my fingers so I couldn't talk. You know, uh, last year at this time is when I had the idea or the inspiration for the Fandross Festival because I was talking to the fans, and especially the fans who loved him the most. And one of those people has become... Such a big part of the Luther legacy for me. He runs a Facebook group. I call him the Luther historian. Please welcome to the show, Leon Petrosen. Hi, Leon.
7: Oh, hey, Max. Thank you.
1: What do you think of this year's podcast?
7: Oh, this is great. Yeah, just so much information and uh, memories and history. Yeah, this is great.
1: Um, I want to talk with you about busybody because this is an incredible album that really a lot of people uh just showed the consistency of the hits that Luther Vandross had third studio album partnering again like I said with Marcus Miller par- partnering again with I mean partnering for the first time with Dion Warwick tell us a little bit about you, what you what you love about this album and what you think the fans should be looking for when they listen to it
7: um well with this album uh what I what I find is is a lot of the songs um, deal with uh, the, uh, you know, I guess struggles of love um, and relationships. Uh, that's really like the main theme of the album. And, I mean, just like the last song you played, that was like the most up, upbeat song of the of the album. So, uh, I mean, you just got so many great ballads. Uh, I mean, like my favorites make me a believer. I mean, that's, to me, that's like one of the all-time... I think, the all, one of the all-time Luther ballads.
1: And he had such an incredible, um, you know, Steve Croon worked on it, the musicians were there, Yogi Horton, who toured with him for years, Skip Anderson, Nat Adderley Jr., Marcus Miller, Doc Powell. I mean, it is an incredible lineup of musicians on the show, uh, on that album, as yeah. well as, we should say, the vocalists. He had Brenda white King, yeah. Fonzie yeah. Thornton. Philip Balu, Robin Clark, Tawatha, Alpha, Cindy Houston. Several of these uh, women are going to be at our upcoming Fandross Festival. Darlene Love, David Lasley, Paulette McWilliams, Michelle Cobb, Yvonne Lewis, Patty, and Patty Austin. I mean, there's a name for people, right?
7: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: So uh, I think a lot of people point to the ballads. And I think, like you said, make me a believer But ultimately, I think th- this album is really known for Superstar Until You Come Back to Me
7: Right, right
1: And where do you think the magic came for that song?
7: Hmm You know, I, I'm not sure The magic, uh ooh, that's a tough one That's a tough one Uh you mean in terms of uh, Luther working his magic, or just the song itself?
1: Any any way you want to tackle that question, uh, I'll be at Barbara Streisand and just hmm. lean back at my chair.
7: Wow, that's 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 a good one. I'd have to. Uh, All right. Well, I'm uh, going to give you a minute to really... think
1: about that while we play another yeah. song and get ready to meet the ultimate okay. fan. Yes. Uh, we stumped Leon Petrosen. I can't believe it, everyone. All right. Did you know that Luther Vandross spent his own monies to fund his original demo tape, and he shopped it around to various labels in New York City? A year later, a whole year, can you believe that, 1981, he finally secured a record deal with Epic Records and released his debut album, Never Too Much. But here's a song from the third album, Busy Buddy, written by Luther Vandross, and again with Marcus Miller, entitled I'll Let You Slide, courtesy of Sony Music.
2: Oh, awesome.
1: Back to Diva Bedick's annual Luther Vandross tri- uh, tribute podcast. I'm having so much fun here. I'm twisting my words around. I'm your host, Diva Bedick. It's time to meet the fans that are part of Fandross, and we've got a big super fan from Pittsburgh, PA. Please welcome John Price. Hi, John. How you doing, Max? Uh, I know Luther. I know Leon saw Luther perform uh, many times. And I personally think a real fan had to see Luther perform more than three times. How many times did you see Luther Vandross perform?
8: Six times. Six times in concert.
1: And and where were they all in Pittsburgh?
8: They all were in
1: Pittsburgh. As a matter of fact, I still have the programs
8: from the, all the concerts. I was so overwhelmed by his talent and how he did things. Uh, I kept the programs. I just. We'll bring town. them and
1: we'll put them on display. I'll tell uh, sure. uh, Savita we could add them to our fan dress display. <laughs> sure,
2: sure. All right. Sure, well, how sure,
1: sure. those six, sure. I think you said to me you saw Anita Baker concert and Vogue, uh, Bud Superfast, Sounds of Blackness with Mays and Padla Bell. Which one? Wh- what moment out of any of those kind of stands out to you?
8: Oh, that's a good one. But one
1: that that really comes
8: to mind is people don't know Luther had a great sense of humor. And so and it was the second concert, I remember, and he comes out and he talks a little bit, and then he said, well, I hear Eddie Murphy say that I was a chicken such and such and such. So the lights down, he comes out and he drags a big bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken, and the house is going crazy. Mm-hmm. It might seem crazy, and that might seem about the music, but the man had a good sense of humor. I, we were all laughing. But I, I, I never got cheated when you went to a Luther concert. One thing about Luther's concerts, is you're going to hear great musicianship, great singer, and great background singers on point. That's the thing about Luther that stands out in any other artist I've ever heard.
1: And you're a performer. So what, what is, like, one lesson you've learned from Luther over the years about performing? One of the best
8: lessons you'll ever learn, and everybody will also give you their opinion, is when your voice is a instrument. Your voice is just like that guitarist who plays guitar or bass or that drummer who plays it. You have to stay in tune. You, you have to be on point just like a drummer is. You learn a lot just from seeing him, not even knowing him. The specialism he had, the way he did things, really amazed me how he had his hand on the background vocals. You know, you, you listen to a lot of artists, yeah, they have background singers. Yeah, they're nice. When you listen to Luther Vandross' background singers, it's more innovative. The style, the sound, the technique, it's pretty pretty awesome. That's the thing as a performer I look at. I try to take to my own creativity and create the same thing with my own spin on doing my vocals.
1: I love it. And you know, um, Luther was loved the game shows on T V. So in honor of Luther, we thought we would have some fun with you. Uh-oh. Play some Luther trivia with our own Leon Petrosen. Leon came up with all these questions based on the Busybody album and we're gonna test your knowledge as a super fan, John and find out how good you are. And then I'm going to see you in uh, New York in May, so I'll be either to uh, pat you on the back or slap you on the face. No, I won't do that, but I'll just say thank you for being part of our Yeah. All right, I'm going to read well, the question. I, you won't be the you,
8: first or last, Max. I can tell you that, Max.
1: I'm going to read the question. You'll, you'll give us our answer, and then Leon will be the official and tell us what the actual answer is. First question. Yeah. Sure. What singer – Leon, are you still questioning that magic behind Superstar? Because our first question, what singer originally sung Superstar in 1969? John, was it A, Rita Coolidge, B, Bette Midler, C, Cher, or D, Delaney, and Bonnie Bramlett?
8: Bonnie Bramlett is the correct answer.
1: Is that your final answer? Yes. And Leon, is he right or wrong?
7: He's right. Yep, Delaney and Bonnie. He's right.
1: uh, who wrote that song? it
8: uh, was uh,
2: a combination.
7: Oh,
1: Yeah.
8: Oh God, you got me, Max. This has been a while. Oh goodness. Because on that song, he combines two songs together until you come back to me, and the other part is, and then didn't the carpenters do the Superstar? I'm pretty sure.
1: I'm letting Leon answer that because there's a question coming up about that. Before the Carpenters uh, released their hit, who recorded it before them? Is it Rita Coolidge, Bette Midler, Tiny Tim, or Cher?
8: Oh, man. Who was the first option?
1: Rita Coolidge.
8: I'll take a guess and say her. I'm not going to know that one. (laughs)
1: Leon, what's the correct answer?
7: well actually hey max the the one that i had was, um hold on hold on actually it was uh all three actually did release superstar um before the oh, carpenters wow. recorded it, yeah, so all three wow. of them actually had record- yeah had recorded it before them. they just were never a big hit it was just never a big hit. All right,
1: continuing with the Superstar line of uh, questions, Leon. True or false, John hmm. Price? Was Superstar's working title during portions of its development called Groupy Song? Is that true or false? Groupy Song was the, the initial title for Superstar. Oh, man.
8: Boy, you really going to smack me next. <laughs> I'll just take you does and say no. <laughs> oh, my
1: goodness. Leon,
7: it was actually true. Yeah.
1: Wow, I got yeah. you wrong. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take those programs when you bring them and keep them because I'm going <laughs> to. You're going to lose your stars <laughs> as a Luther fan. All, all right, right, here we it. go. What's our our next question? Is um, I'm looking, Oh, all right, here we go. True or false? Did Luther sing Superstar along with Diva Gray? and David Lasley in 1978 on guitarist Dave Spinoza's album, Spinoza? Did, true or false, did Luther Vandross sing Superstar, along with Diva Gray and David Lasley in 1978 on the guitarist David Spinoza, is that how you pronounce his name, Spinoza? The album Spinoza.
7: Yeah.
8: I might strike out again. I'm going to say no.
7: No.
1: And... Leon,
7: it's true. He actually did.
1: Yep. It was
7: one of the, yeah, one of his uh, early sessions. Yep.
1: We've got to have Max, more applause, people. let right. Let's, let's let's see if we could change it up because Leon finally got away from Superstar for a minute and, and concentrated on another song on this album. Which song <laughs> oh, yeah. on the Busy Body album wasn't released as a 45 single? Was it Superstar? Is this is that the right way? Is it was released or wasn't released, Leon?
7: Wasn't released. Wasn't released on a on an actual single.
1: Okay, so was it Superstar be- for the sweetness of your love? I wanted your love. Busybody, I'll let you slide. Make me a believer. Or how many times can I say goodbye? Which one wasn't released as a forty-five single?
8: It has to be Superstar because it was so long. You couldn't cut the time down.
1: I'm mm. taking
8: a guess, but I'm. Pretty- That was a
7: pretty long song. Uh, It actually was B. It was For the Sweetness of Your Love. Superstar. On Superstar, they actually did um, a a five-minute version. They actually did cut it down to about, I think it was five minutes and 39 seconds. Wow. Well,
1: I I give you
8: credit, Max. Your questions were tough.
1: That well, one you've, got one more one? Your, you've got one more to redeem yourself. <laughs> and the question <laughs> is, to be able to perform on stage at our Fandras kickoff party at the Sugar Bar, you need to get this last question right.
8: Oh Which boy, singer God, did
1: a duet with Luther on how many times can we say goodbye? Was it oh, Cheryl on, Lynn, me. Phyllis Hyman, Dionne Warwick, or Aretha Franklin?
8: on war, oh. how many times can you say, that's easy? That's
1: very easy. Yeah. <laughs> and, what, and what song are you going to sing at the Luther Fandross kickoff party?
8: Um, one of my favorites is Never Let Me Go. That is one of my favorite tunes.
1: Hmm. Are you going to give us a little bit
8: of that the... for a second? Uh, sure, uh, Never Let Me Go. Yeah. That's what you want? Uh, just let We love you tonight Forget about tomorrow Stay good enough, Max.
1: (laughs) That was perfect. And, you know, um, you sounded sounded like Luther, and uh, part of this is about celebrating Luther's musical legacy, and another part is about raising diabetes. So I'm bringing on our number one certified diabetes educator, Patricia Addy-Gentle. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Jack. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us because Jonathan and Leon, as you heard, just concluded the entertainment portion of our trivia game tonight. But now it's time to play DivaBetic Health Trivia with Leon and John Price. Are you guys ready? Yeah. I'm as ready
8: ready as we're going to (laughs) be.
1: All right. Here we go. Here's your first question. What organ in the body produces insulin? Is it A. the liver, B. the pancreas, C. the kidney, D. the gallbladder?
7: You want me to take this one, Leon? You can go ahead. Yeah, go ahead.
1: The pancreas. Yeah. Uh, Patricia, is that right or wrong? That is right. That is right. The pancreas is the
2: small
4: gland. Located in the abdominal <laughs> cavity, and that is the organ that produces insulin. Yep.
1: Next question: What's the best way to treat a low blood sugar? Is it A, with a can, a chocolate bar? B, with a handful of jelly beans? C, with a glass of orange juice? That's C. easy. Let me take
7: this one. C, the glass of orange uh, juice. Uh, well, oh yeah.
1: What did you say, Leon?
7: I said C too.
1: Yeah. So they both said, see, Patricia, is that yeah. right, Ron? Well, that is a wonderful way to treat low-blood. Uh,
4: so I'm going to say they're right. Uh, however, if you have someone who is maybe a little semi-conscious and not able to drink orange juice, you can also use, and that was not an option, but something like a gel pack. The gel pack uh-huh absorbs through the mucous membrane, even when the person, if you Hmm. can squirt it in the mouth, even if they're not Hmm. conscious enough to swallow, and strangulation could be a factor when you have someone who is really, really suffering from a very low blood sugar. So orange juice Hmm. might might not be the best choice at that time.
1: And what Hmm. about the chocolate bar? Is that a good option? A lot of people like to carry around a Snickers or something like that. Well, the
4: chocolate bar does not uh, digest and go straight in the bloodstream like other sugars because there is a lot of fat there, and so it kind of slows that absorption and digestion. So you want something that's going to quickly go into the bloodstream. So orange juice is a liquid, you know, squeezed from the orange, and it is highly concentrated with sugar, and the um, gel pack is also very good.
1: Okay, and the final question, what's the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes?
2: Oh, good question.
1: If I'm not correct, and I think she'll make sure I am correct, type
8: 1, you're born with the uh, the disease, correct, from the beginning?
4: Usually, no, you're not born with it, but it is when the pancreas stops making insulin. And so we years ago we thought it was secluded for children. And so that's probably right. what you're thinking about uh because right. we used to call it juvenile diabetes. But now we know that even as an adult, type 1 could be um, you know, something that starts in the adult years. But it's when the pancreas completely is rendered um out of order, it's just not operating and not making the insulin that you need in order to um, distribute the sugars and, and to break them down. Type 2, on the other hand, the pancreas is functioning. However, it might need a little boost. It might not be quite giving you the amount of insulin you need, or in some terms, sometimes it's giving more insulin than required, but because of other factors, the body is not utilizing the insulin that it's making. So type 1, the only way to treat it is by insulin injection or insulin in some form. You have to inject it, you have to inhale it, or you have to uh, use it through a pump. But insulin is necessary for type 1s. Type 2s can take tablets.
1: Great advice. Thanks, Patricia. And thank you, everyone, for being a, our part of our show tonight. That ends. This is the end of our Luther Vandross uh, Annual Tribute Podcast. But guess what? Join us in May in New York City for our four-day celebration, including our Vandross kickoff party on Thursday, May 10th. Lisa Fisher and the Grand Baton at Blue Note on Friday, May 11th. Vandross Festival at SCA Theater on Saturday, May 12th, and the Vandross uh, 80s Brunch at Casa Del Femme in New York City on Mother's Day, May 13th. All those events are on divabeg.org, Luther v- Vandross's official um, website, and Leon, you're posting them on his Facebook pages. And I want to let you know that every diva dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together, as promised. Here's Luther Vandross's version of Superstar courtesy of Sony Music.
2: Don't you remember you told me you love me baby Before the second show And